the real Sasha Cohen has finally arrived. Hi again, we're back with the ER. This is Sarah Wildman, FP's print editor, and with me in the Washington studio is Emily Tamkin. And on the phone, we are super excited to speak to Sasha Cohen, the U.S. Olympic silver medalist from the 2006 Torino Olympics in women's figure skating. And we've been talking a lot, Sasha, before you came on about history and the Olympics and and kind of nitty-gritty political science. But the truth is, it comes down to people like you, the actual Olympians. And, you know, as a lifelong total, total fan, I'm going to be completely frank, it's an honor to speak to you. And, and we'd love to just chat with you a little bit about both the experience of actually making it to the Olympics and also what it feels like to represent the U.S. And we can go in a lot of different directions, but we're really excited to have you. And thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm very excited about the Olympics next month. Being an Olympian has certainly defined my life. Uh, getting to compete in two Olympic Games, one in my home country, was such an incredible moment for me. And getting to meet other people like me, Olympians that have sacrificed their lives for the pursuit of becoming the best that they could be in their sport. And it's, it's the most incredible moment. You know, it, it comes every four years. And those of us lucky to get to go to a second game, it's a very few and selective group that get to go to, to more than one Olympics. And it's, it's certainly defined my life. It's taught me grit. It's defined my character. And getting to compete under a U.S. flag and have the support of Team USA in a wide range of sports and performing and, and seeing people waving U.S. flags and banners and supporting not only you but the nation that you're representing is, is an absolutely magical experience. It was a privilege and an honor. And again, thank you so much for having me on today. Can you tell us a little bit about what that training looks like? And then, you know, I think what's really interesting is that it is this personal experience on on the one hand enormously and, and incredibly emotional. I, I rewatched your 2006 and 2002, The Beauty of YouTube. You know, it's, it's incredibly emotional. And, and at the same time, it's also national, and that's such a strange mix. So I guess the first is, you know, when did it start for you? I mean, how old were you, and how did the training begin, and, and what did you give up? I mean, you gave up a lot to pursue that dream. I started skating at the age of seven after um, participating in gymnastics for about two years. I was homeschooled from the age of 12, and, you know, along the way dealt with some pretty bad injuries, about 22 stitches in my calf, which nearly took me off course to be able to pursue a career as a figure skater, uh, stress fractures in my back that sidelined me the year before my first Olympics. And, you know, it's, it's a way of life, but it's, it's difficult, but there's utter clarity uh, in what you're doing. It's, it's very self-directed and motivated, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's on your shoulders, and in some ways it's incredibly difficult, but in other ways it's it's tremendously rewarding and you feel like you really have control over over your destiny, which is not always the case in a world outside of sports. So on that on that 
note of destiny and to bring in what Sarah said about the mix of the deeply, deeply personal and the national, I wanted to reference some contemporary events, namely the Russian athletes this year cannot perform under the Russian flag for, as as you know, the state-backed or state-run doping program. Um, I wanted to ask, and I, I, I know that you can't answer this fully because you fortunately were not in that position, but what do you think it would mean to an athlete to not be able to perform under his or her own flag? Um, and what choice do you think you would have made? Because they, they gave them this option, right, of performing under a, a neutral flag. And some came out and said, I would never, like, it, it would mean everything to me to perform for Russia and nothing to me not to. What are your thoughts on all this? You know, I think for the athletes that are that are innocent. Uh, I think that's a tough position to be in. Um, I think the measure was necessary considering everything that's happened in the sport and it really, it needs to be fair and it needs to be monitored so it's absolutely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much pride in, in walking with, I had so much pride in walking with Team USA behind the flag and I, I really can't imagine going and not representing my country. That being said, I think not going at all would be a very, very tough decision to make when you really, as an athlete, have put in a decade of your life or more into this. And it's it's still an amazing experience to get to go to an Olympic Games, feel that global community. But it's it's certainly a, it's certainly a big blemish, and I, I can understand that it's, it's a very complicated situation and also very personal. Well, I would imagine, this is Sarah again, that I mean, you also only get a certain window and you only have a few years in the scheme of your life when you get this chance to have this stage, to have this moment. You know, what we talked about with some of the people that came on the program earlier was the 36 Olympics, which were held in Nazi Germany. And there was a big talk of of boycotting in the U.S. at the time. And a lot of athletes then said, but this is our only chance. And I, I imagine that's something you could very fully understand. The Olympics aren't like the Super Bowl. You know, they they don't happen every year. And you have to be very lucky to even get to go to one, to have your timing work out, that you're not injured, that you happen to be the best, you know, one of the best in your nation at that time, and then hopefully the best in the world, you know, to have a chance of meddling. And you see this a lot in gymnastics and, and, and sports like figure skating as well, where for women especially, you just don't have a long trajectory in a, in a sport like that. And so even if you're, you're off by two years, you can, you can miss a shot. It can mean the difference between making an Olympic team at all and an Olympic gold medal. And so I think that's a, that's a very tough situation for, for the athletes to be in. And again, for the, inno- the innocent athletes, it's, it's very unfortunate because it goes way beyond them if their national Olympic organizations are corrupt and condoning victory at any price and uh, ethical standards go out the window. So, again, it's, it's unfortunate for the innocent athletes, but it's just necessary for the purity of the Olympic game as a whole. Which makes total sense, but of course, another one of our Olympic sports has seen a major blemish uh, over the last month and a half with um, the scandal over Nassar in, um, in Michigan. And 
you know, I, I wonder if, I mean, imagine you have thoughts about that. I mean, the women have been incredibly brave standing up in that courtroom and describing that abuse. But I wonder if you have thoughts on how that reflects on the Olympic system for gymnastics, which is a sport you left, obviously, very young. I did. I did leave uh, very young. I I think it's a terrible reflection that the athletes aren't put first as people. Um, I think it's incredibly sad and disturbing. And this goes beyond gymnastics and beyond sexual abuse. And it goes to the idea that the Olympic Committee is there to support the nation's best and most talented athletes to, to win medals. And they're not taking care of them as people. They're not making sure that everything is okay, investigating any issues when there's even a rumor of doubt, and and that it's kind of swept under the rug. Um, and it, it's incredibly unfortunate. And I'm actually working on a documentary called The Weight of Gold, and we're really trying to bring light to is that there's no help for, for um, mental health for Olympians. And you're really... You train 10, 20 years for this moment at the Olympics, and when you're when you're done, you know you you don't have health care anymore. You have to deal with these issues on their own. And you've seen athletes like Stephen Holcomb who's committed, you know, who died suddenly and speculated that it's it's suicide. And athletes face a lot of issues with depression after after they're done competing, and there's no resources to help them. And again, this circles back to the sexual abuse problem in gymnastics is that athletes are not taken care of as people as well, going into their career and into the Olympic Games and leaving that. And I think that's something that has to change and, and will change in the, in the near future. Obviously, you said, you know, healthcare is a big part of being taken care of just physically and, and mentally after your career at the or your time at the Olympics is done. But are there other reforms that you would like to see made within the Olympic system? Are there other um, are there other countries who you think uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee could could follow for a positive example? I think it's difficult because most other countries, their governments right. yeah, provide sure. support to the athlete, and the athlete they're paid to to train as an athlete. Their living expenses are taken care of, and most athletes that have the dream of becoming an Olympian and get to go to the Olympics, it's all self-funded. It's their family-funded. They they raise money from, from friends and sponsors, and they're not going to get huge endorsements. They're not going to have, a, you know, the select few like Michael Phelps and Sean White and Lindsey Vaughn will be able to monetize from an Olympic career and, and figure skaters to some extent because they can perform in the entertainment world and do shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case for speed skating and curling and, and skiing and so many other sports. And, you know, I think more funding needs to be there. It would be great if our government supported these athletes because, you know, as many problems as we may see with the U.S. Olympic Committee, the U.S. Olympic Committee is really the only resource that the athletes have. They raise money and they are able to help to help Olympians going into the games and and give them health care and provide resources for training as they get closer to. And, I mean, it's a good start, but it's, it's not enough. And, you know, it either has to be pumped up through 
additional fundraising efforts, mm-hmm. but ideally the government would step in and, and realize that they're really kind of the odd one out in not supporting their Olympic athletes. It's it's a really amazing point. This is Sarah again. You know, and I, I thought about that watching you again last night and watching some of the performance. I mean, the, uh, I watched some of the figure skating Olympic performances from, you know, the late 90s to the present last night. I sort of fell down that hole of YouTube of watching. And, and you realize it's four minutes between a, a medal, which may or may not make an international reputation after a decade, as you mentioned, or more of time of sacrifice of training. And you have this tiny, tiny window, and that may make or break the idea of endorsements or what your reputation is globally afterwards. And and that pressure, I can't even fathom. But I also can't imagine what it's like to try to integrate into the world afterwards. I know you went back um, and you went to Columbia, uh, I think, starting at age 25. I think I read that. And what it's like to, to figure out what's next and, and how to integrate this story. I imagine that there is a gap in in mental health support for those who've done this for so long. And and that's why I'm very excited about um, working on this on this project on the weight of gold because especially in sports, I think there's a stigma and in the world in general, and that needs to change. People and athletes need to be able to say they're not okay, they need help, they need resources, they need support. And I think it's especially hard in sports because any mental weakness is seen as, you know, I I guess you would say that depression could be seen as a form of mental weakness and you don't want to admit to anyone, to your competitor, to the newspaper that you're struggling. You don't want to lose your edge. You don't want to admit there's something wrong. And and sometimes it's really even hard to to flesh out just the the normal reaction to putting your your life on the line and, and knowing your whole life will be made or, you know, you can break or make your whole life in, in a few minutes or for a skier in 20 seconds, that that pressure is immense and you, you really can't admit weakness to anyone because you have to be seen as strong. And so I think that makes it especially hard for for athletes to, to talk about maybe the mental struggles that they have. And then there's no resources provided, you know. There's just barely enough money to try to pay for your ice time and your equipment and your coaches. And that's only, like, in the year of the Olympics. Before that, you know, you're, you're on your own and you're, you're getting minimal support. So, so it's difficult. I think there really needs to be a system in place where athletes are allowed to open up and talk about their struggles and and it's normal they go to every athlete they talk to them like here are some resources here's a number we're here for you we get it and also to say that it's normal it's okay you know michael phelps has been openly speaking about his issues with depression and thoughts of committing suicide and i think athletes need to know that even the best and most accomplished athletes of our time struggle and it's and it's human and it's okay and there's resources to help this is a great point. I, I have one thing I wanted to turn to that's slightly that's slightly different from this, which is that, although I, I suppose in some ways it connects, which is the original idea of the modern Olympics was this concept of the Olympic truce, that it was this moment when there would be no conflict and that it was sport, you know, as international cooperation. And I'm curious, I mean, first of all, you know, your first Olympics, you're, you're a teenager. And 
what is it like to have this interaction in the Olympic Village? And what is it like to be almost a, a cultural ambassador of sorts? And does it work? I mean, do you feel there's moments of, you know, it, of comedy between the nations? Do you feel much more sort of ensconced among the Americans? Or do you feel like it's something? And then afterwards, do you have the sense that, you know, you're a part of a global community of former Olympians? I think that I, in in some abstract sense, feel that I'm a part of a global community of Olympians, but they're not generally people I come into contact with unless they were, you know, former figure skaters, and there's more of a community in that sense, especially when you're still touring. Uh, but I still work with the U.S. Olympic Committee. I will be going to Korea and having the incredible opportunity to visit the troops in Seoul. So I feel more identity as a, as a U.S. Olympian, and the U.S., um, you know, Team USA, you know, those are the athletes that I support. When you're at the Games, you, you're first meeting all these other athletes on Team USA you've never met before, people in other sports that you've really never overlapped with. And that's wonderful, just to have that appreciation outside of figure skating and to, to be around people like you that get you, that have sacrificed their whole lives to the pursuit of their sport. And, and not in a way that professional athletes aspire to and have multi-million dollar contracts and the best facilities and access and therapists. Uh, this is self-funded, and they are training in obscurity for most of their lives, and it's really just in the last month that people have Olympic fever, and in three weeks, it'll be March Madness, and people will forget. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a level of respect you have for, for other athletes like that that just get you and have gone through the same thing. You know, from a global sense, there is a wonderful energy in the Olympic Village and even getting outside of that and walking around the like the arenas and the squares that are that are lit up with Olympic insignia because everyone is there in support and everyone is there to cheer on and honor these incredible athletes that have sacrificed and dedicated so many years of their lives to this sport. So so it is very beautiful. Um, you know, everyone's definitely cheering for their own nation, but by the end of it, people are trading team jackets. One of your friends will come back with a Kazakhstan jacket, and you're like, oh, what happened? Like, oh, we traded jackets. And so there is a wonderful spirit and energy. And the Olympics really is about putting aside political issues of the time and coming together around sports to celebrate excellence and the purest form of what, you know, of what the human body can do. So, so there is a lot of beauty. You know, you know I think we focus a lot on, on the issues and the problems in doping and, you know, in the sexual sexual abuse and gymnastics, and those are definitely issues, but the Olympics still is a beautiful, beautiful event that the world really unites behind and, and comes together, and there's really no other feeling of global community, I think, like the Olympics. And we're certainly very excited for it. I know we're running low on time, but I did want to ask you, since you are going to be in South Korea, you, you spoke to how we're supposed to sort of transcend the times, In the times in which we are currently living, do you feel that the U.S. reputation, you know, the fact that uh, there is the Korea crisis and that Trump is president, does that change things? And then on a lighter note, what are you looking forward to seeing in South Korea? I know you mentioned the troops, but is there a figure skating performance that you're looking forward to? Uh, what, What will you be watching for in South Korea? 
So I think the whole world is certainly nervous with the situation in North Korea. I think everyone is breathing a little bit easier knowing that there are North Korean athletes competing. I think the world, you know, is, is a dangerous place, but it's also an incredible place. I competed in the 2002 Games a few months after 9-11, and security concerns were huge. Everyone was, was you know, fearful, but that's kind of the nature of the world we live in. There are, you know, events that will happen, but there is courage that is needed, and, you know, this is a time to support the athletes. And as, as far as what I'm excited about, certainly visiting the troops because that's an experience unlike any that I've ever had before and I have the most tremendous respect for the men and women that that give their lives and sacrifice um, to make America a safer place and I I got many letters when I was training from from U.S. troops in, in Iraq and Afghanistan kind of saying we watch the Olympics and we're we're just so proud to be able to, you know, have you represent us in our country. And it just, I think there's tremendous respect between Olympians and and the military. I went to Columbia and I went to the GS program, which was created by Eisenhower after World War II for returning vets. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, in their company and studying with them and just utmost respect for the sacrifice they've given and, and how strong they are as people. And then as far as, you know, the games themselves, it's just, it's tremendous. Just the absolute energy when you walk in, when you go to the USA house or walk through, you know, the main squares that are set up for the Olympics. It just, it's a nonstop, it's a really a nonstop event. There's multiple sports competing at the same time, and then there's interviews, and there's people supporting at the USA house and China house and Canada house, and it just, it never stops. There'll be friends of mine that are former Olympians will be, you know, people that I don't know, but that I've been, you know, like Michaela Schifrin and cheering on at home, you know, on TV and to get to see, to get a chance to see her live will be incredible. And just as incredible as it is to watch on TV when you're there, the energy is dynamic and explosive and contagious and it's magic. So it's, it's, it's a treat to get to go back. We've been talking to Sasha Cohen, the two-time Olympic figure skater who won the silver medal in Torino in 2006. Sasha, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and such an honor. And I've been so impressed by your career, and I'm impressed with what you're about to do. So thank you. I've been in the studio with Emily Tamkin. This is Sarah Wildman for Foreign Policy, and we're all looking forward to the Olympic Games. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to be on, and thank you for having me. You've been listening to Foreign Policy's The ER Podcast. I'm Sarah Wildman, and I've been your host. The podcast is produced by Shelby Bosted. For more information about foreign policy and to subscribe to The ER, please visit foreignpolicy.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.